Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 7.30 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. <laughs> Alright, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs> You're listening to Never Heard of It, a Night Shift Radio original. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review if you're so inclined. For more information, visit nightshiftradio.com. Okay, so uh, this month, Caleb, we have been telling ghost stories. It's true. And why have we been telling ghost stories? I ask you as you take a drink of water. <laughs> How dare you? Your timing is <laughs> awful. Uh, well, we're, we're doing a little bit of a, a Victorian Christmas celebration this year. We're, we're telling each other spooky stories around the proverbial campfire, uh, all, the, all in preparation for our, our brand new show launching. Uh, wow, very soon. What, like it's going to be like a week? Uh, next less? week. Yeah, the first, this will January be this 1st. Saturday by the time this episode airs, yeah. Yeah, so uh, coming January 1st, the newest Night Shift Radio original, Possibly Normal, where uh, I'll be telling you, uh, as far as I know, true stories of things that may or may not be paranormal. Just as little little bite-sized spook nuggets for you, just uh, for your enjoyment. So uh, make sure you check that out. Uh, and uh, you know, we're, we're, getting, we're getting in the holiday spirit now, uh, all month long here. We are, and we have clo- we're, we've decided to close out the month with, uh, I would say, arguably, you know, well, two things. One, you know, uh, obviously on this show, you know, we're called Never Heard of It. It's typically show- movies you've never heard of. You have definitely heard of this movie. It was huge all this year, came out over the summer. It was, you know, it was kind of a big, uh, a big to-do. It was supposed to come out a while ago. However, uh, the world shut down for about a year and a half, and uh, this movie failed. I, I don't know. Uh, failed what? to make uh, make it through the COVID theater break. COVID? What's that? What are you talking I, about? Never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we are super lucky because we actually have the director of that film with us. Uh, so, Mr. David Bruckner, how are you doing, sir? Hello. Uh, I'm well. Good to be here. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, uh, Thanks we're very excited. Uh, now, um, you know, full disclosure, I have talked about it on this show, but I did, in fact, work on The Night House as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so David and I did a, a little pre-production, ate a lot of uh, salads with chicken in them, sometimes without. <laughs> <laughs> There's an incident where we had to get chicken salads with chicken in them, and the restaurant like messed up twice in a row and never gave us chicken in our salads. It was a whole ordeal. I, I never knew of this ordeal. I knew of a great many other ordeals, but it doesn't all it doesn't always find me on set. But yes. I mean, I mean, if if this is the worst thing I can remember from this production, that's a really good production because I've got right. stories of other productions that <laughs> that is that would be like a delight if that was the worst that uh, that happened. 
Yeah. But yeah, so so we, uh, you know, uh, I I did a little bit. David did the heavy lifting of actually making the movie <laughs> and making it what it is. Uh, so that being said, hello and welcome to the Never Heard of It podcast. I'm your host, Michael Veit. And I'm the Night Koi. <laughs> and so uh, right off the bat, you know, I want to talk about... Um, I guess, you know, uh, so obviously there's going to be a little bit of spoilers for this movie, but mm-hmm, I don't really mm-hmm. think, I don't really think you can spoil, spoil this movie aside from just completely talking about the ending because the plot of the movie, you know, kind of describes, it gives you what to expect, but it's the journey that I think is, uh, is what's most exciting about this film. Yeah. And even before we get into it, I, I think it's worth noting that, uh, this is, Hands down, objectively, the best movie we're doing this month. And uh, Michael, you and I were talking, uh, and sorry to, to put you on the spot and you know, potentially embarrass you, David, but this is one of the best movies we've done, period. Uh, yeah, so. this is yeah definitely in the, uh, one of the best movies. I mean, we've reviewed some really good movies uh, over the past four years now, almost four yeah. years that we've been doing this show. Um, but definitely, th- this is in the top, because this, that's, this that's, is such a fantastic That's movie. great to hear, guys, really. I mean, uh, just glad you responded to it. It's, it's not mm-hmm. for everyone. So it's been fun to to take everyone's reactions in. Well, and as soon as Michael first uh, described the plot to me uh, when he was getting ready to, to work on the film, I was like, well, sign me up as soon as it comes out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the thing about this that I really love, and I think, you know, this definitely comes down to, you know, what were you saying, how this this may not be a film for everyone. Um, and and this kind of is uh, kind of mirroring my experience. I just recently watched the new uh, the new Matrix movie, um, which is fun. It's the Matrix, you know. It's the fourth one, and everyone's exciting. But the movie held your hand through the whole thing. Like it very much was like, here's this callback. Oh, now we're going to show you a clip from the first Matrix that explains the callback. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I got that. But this movie, it it leaves things very open. And I loved that. I loved that. Now, when you originally got the script, like, what was it that drew you to to doing this film? Uh, yeah, um, thanks. I'll just I'll go ahead and say, like, I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it was something that I mean, this was a script that uh, Ben Collins and Luke Petrowski, who were uh, friends of mine, we'd collaborated before had first put on my desk way back in 2014 and I'd gotten busy and not followed up with it, not read the draft and another director attached to it for a while. So it, it wasn't mine. And, uh, and then it came free again in 2017. And so I, I called them and said like, whatever happened to that, you know, one woman in a house kind of, uh, like really solo experiment thing that you guys were working on. And they sent it yeah. over and I just fell in love. And part of what I loved about it was that I felt that the script, like, First of all, it had a really overt kind of labyrinthian concept to it. And so it presented itself as a question and as a maze. And much of what drives the drama is like what, you know, um, I should say the movie is very much about a woman who in the um, the very recent wake of her husband's uh, unexpected suicide, like mm-hmm. you know, nine days previous to when the film starts, he went out on a lake that they live on um, in a boat with a gun that they didn't even she didn't even know that he owned and, and shot himself. And so we're finding her in this kind of like reeling, spiraling moment. Um, and she finds his note and his note is this cryptic thing that she doesn't understand. And so it's about decoding like, who was my husband? I didn't know what this was in him. And, and you know, being haunted by the absence of meaning behind his gesture. And, uh, but I, I, I loved how withholding the script was and mm-hmm. how it felt like it was, keeping secrets from me 
And, uh, and it just felt like a really exciting challenge as a movie (laughs) to just go like, like, what if we just played this game all the way to the end? Like, where would that take us necessarily? And, um, and I thought there was some, some, some really just like high resolution dropped in very, there was a vivid state of mind of what, um, grief and and mental illness certain kinds um uh, corners of uh you know the the psychological landscape are sort of depicted in the script that yeah um felt uh refreshing to me in its in its kind of frankness well and i think one of the things that really stood out to me about this like michael said a lot a lot of movies the the matrix was a, a good example a lot of movies will like carry you through the whole thing. They'll make sure you like you're with them every step and you understand exactly what's happening. Others, a lot of the movies that we talk about uh, go in several different directions and never finish a single thought. And you're left wondering what the fuck happened. Uh, and this movie does neither of those things. It, it pulls you along on the journey, but gives you no more than you absolutely need in the moment. And it sets its mind on a goal and gets there. And I, I, that was so refreshing to me. When I, when I first read the, when I, when I first got signed on to the project and I, I got the first draft, you know, one of the first drafts of, of like the approved script. And I remember reading it. And the first time I read it through, I was like, this is, this is a movie about grief. Like, you know, like if you pull, mm-hmm. even if you just take the, the ghost, uh, you know, the ghostly or the paranormal aspect out of it and use it and think of it as metaphor, like it's, that's just, she's grieving. She's trying to understand why someone would commit suicide. And because she's like, but I know my husband, you know, or she, she was like, at least I, I thought I knew my husband. Yeah. So it's like, almost like she constructs this paranormal explanation around it to be like, well, there's no way that, you know, he would ever really do this. But then you add the paranormal aspects back in and it's like, Oh wait, like this is also a story about like the angel of death type thing. Like somebody, you know, like some sort of grim reaper coming to, you know, collect the bounty that he's owed. And it's like, you know, if you want to take it very literal that way too. And it's like, I mean, it's just so open. I love it. You pulled it off. Yeah. I, yes. I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause it was, you know, there's, you sometimes end up in conversations after uh, projects like this, people are like, okay, okay. So is it meant to be taken literally or is it a metaphor for kind of what's going on inside of us? And the frustrating answer is yes. Yes. You know, and <laughs> <Yeah>. it's, <laughs> but I think that's just kind of what's fun about it, right? Is that it's, yeah. it's, and, and sort of slippery about it all the way to the end is that you can, you, you're not, you're not told as an audience um, how necessarily to take something. It's kind of, it's sort of laid out there for you to sort of interpret and come to your own conclusions. And I mean, that's also just my experience with the script is like every time I dive into it or, or read it all the way to the end, I would come out of it. I would be like, okay, I just envisioned a different movie this time. Like I, I it changes for me too in that way. And so the the kind of decision for us in creating it was to, just not not mess with that, not overdevelop it into a very, very literal, understood place, um, but to sort of straddle the line and just um, let it be more than one thing at once. And mm-hmm. um, that can be frustrating to some people. And uh, to other people, it's kind of li- liberating. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting to see the feedback in that regard. You know, um, I've, I've had some very stern uh, lecturings from the internet on um, you need to decide which kind of movie you're making 
And uh, but why? Yeah, yeah. But why? That's the thing. You did decide. They just didn't decide to. uh, (laughs) They just need to decide on their half of what movie they saw. They just didn't agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Uh, and and I think something that's fun too about that is that sometimes people, I I think what they're what they're expressing is is a frustration that there's. um, not always an easy answer to any of what's on the table. And yeah, whether you like that or not, I would say that too was something that was intended. Like I, like a word that I, I used a lot, um, when we were making the movie was, uh, you know, confounding, um, that I sort of liked that there was a labyrinthian kind of, I mean, there is a bit of a puzzle to the movie and that mm-hmm. you, you sort of become so steeped in the mystery at a certain point, you, you kind of have to you sort of have to start realizing that you're here for something other than the reason you thought you were here for. And, um, you know, a lot of what the central character Beth is going through is reckoning with the fact that she will never know her husband's full intentions or or what he was. So I think, uh, in that sense, it also felt, you know, right to kind of lean into that. Like that's, that's, that's a, that's a feeling that we were interested in for better or worse. I remember when I was watching through it, like periodically throughout the movie, I would start developing a theory on what I thought was happening. And every time that theory was wrong was very rewarding because <laughs> it realized like there's more to the puzzle. I haven't figured yeah. it out 20 minutes in. I haven't figured it out 40 minutes in. I, you know, I did eventually get to where the, the story was going, but I think it was at a point where that's where I was supposed to, at least from the... The version of the story that I was seeing, the, you know, my mental interpretation, I reached a point where I was like, okay, this works. How does it end now? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I found myself, uh, so the first time I saw this, uh, like, in the real world and not, you know, via, like, clips in my email uh, when we were working on it, I was like, here's what we shot today. And I saw I saw it in the theater, and, and I remember the first time I watching through it and very much found myself in the perspective of Beth, who, by the way, is played by Rebecca Hall. Um, uh, absolutely fantastic. I love Rebecca um, she was, Yeah, she was absolutely fantastic. Um, she does have a very small scene. My daughter's in the movie. She has a very small scene with my kid, and she was just amazing with her, both her and Sarah Goldberg, who plays her best friend, Claire. Um, absolutely fantastic people. Um, uh, but I found myself going through the perspective of of Rebecca Hall as the grieving widow, you know, in the house by herself. But then uh, when I went back and rewatched the movie um, at home, uh, you know, prepping for, for this episode, I found myself thinking, like, like, what was Owen doing? Like, then I kind of, like, stepped back and, like, what was her husband thinking? Like, as I see, as I already know, like, where it's going, and I'm seeing all the things that, you know, like, the books laid around and, you know, and the 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 pinned statue woman and all that stuff. And then I start thinking less of, like, oh, my God, what is, you know, what is Beth thinking? But I'm, like, what was Owen, at, like, at what point was the madness so much that he just, this you know, the switch flips and he's like, I gotta build another house. Like, <laughs> I gotta fucking build a house here. You know? So like it's that's that's a cool moment, you know, when you when you think of it the other side of it is like, shit, the dude built two houses. I can't even build one. It's <laughs> great to think about. I'm glad it's always a challenge when you have like um, a backstory, you know, for a character that's off screen. It's implied, yeah. it exists in small details, and then there's moments of the film where you're given information, but you're not really as an audience on a first watch, you're not really given like time to sit back and ponder 
how these things came together. It's kind of handed to you and then the, and then the movie moves on and it's sort of like there if you want to go back to it one way or another. Um, <clears throat> that was a particularly like tricky thing for us in post because we just didn't know how much air to put into it at times or how much to reveal about Owen's backstory. Like, was it too much too fast necessarily? Or do you count on the fact that some people will go back and watch it again or that, or, or that it's okay for something to linger? You know, I think, I think that and the general like obtuse nature of the journey at times are, are things that are not, you, you see less and less these days um, in a kind of high attention deficit culture where everything has to be amazingly high concept to mm-hmm. get you in the door and then uh, hold you all the way to the end and you need to have all the information that you can possibly have and a nice bit of closure at the very end. And uh, because there's the potential that you're going to forget the movie 10 minutes after you've seen it. And uh, so it's, 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 it's not, we don't always have, I think, the privilege of, as storytellers anymore of expecting that we're going to be able to hold an audience, you know, hostage in a movie theater for two hours. Yeah. Um, or that they're going to even think of a movie as something that holds their entire attention for the period of time that they're watching it, you know, because um, you're discovering things in, on streaming you know, uh, at a moment's notice, watching part of it, leaving, coming back to it. It's just the, the nature of the game has changed a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Caleb and I, uh, you know, for this show, we do a new movie every week. So we end up watching, I mean, I end up, you know, filtering through so many movies every week watching, I mean, you know, somewhere I'm like, the concept of this is amazing. This poster is great. Look at these actors. And then I watch the movie and I'm like, (laughs) okay on to the next and i have to like just psych you know i'm just movie after movie you know film after film after film and there's a lot where like uh, there's very few where i sit back and i'm like oh remember that movie you know whether it's for a good reason or a bad reason yeah but even the the bad reason sometimes i'm like yeah but i'm still talking about that movie like that's that's big you know like like uh you know one of the movies uh we you know i often think back on uh that we covered is um who kind of has a very similar uh not not a plot but a very similar um sort of feeling is the man who uh, uh who killed hitler and then the bigfoot is because there's there's a there's a moment in that in that film where sam elliott has this box and you never know what's, what's in, in the, the bo- box you're right it, it was not gwyneth paltrow's head by the way um <laughs> but there's this moment where like you know that the box you know the box exists and and what's in the box at the end of the movie it doesn't matter what's in the box anymore because it was the idea of of what you know the idea of what the box meant to him and what he put in the box that was important and it could have been anything you could have been like oh it's just photos from when he was a kid or oh it's you know the gun he used to shoot hitler or you know it doesn't even matter it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what was in the box because the journey like getting to that moment of the of the end where he's like you know oh, here's the box i'm gonna leave it off to you because i'm gonna go kill bigfoot um <laughs> wild concept great movie sam elliott amazing. amazing amazing movie i haven't seen that one yet thank you Jeff, oh my god it's yeah so good it's such a great movie um and you would think it's like this really insane schlock film but it's not it's actually a really great story about uh, a man living with regret it's you would never think he did two amazing things um but that's kind of how I felt about, you know, uh, about watching uh, watching this film and watching The Night House is, is after I'm done, you know, I sat back and thought about a lot of the things and I'm like, what would I do? Like, what would I do in Beth's shoes? What would I do in Owen's shoes? Like, 
you know, uh, you know, spoiler. So obviously, uh, so the idea is, is that, uh, Beth, when she was younger crashes, uh, gets into a car crash, kind of dies on the table, but is brought back to life, but has been basically haunted by, let's say, a Grim Reaper type, you know, collecting souls type person. But, and the imagery of how she describes it is, it is so critical to the rest of the story, but also so poetic that like if it just saw that scene and nothing else, it would still be so powerful. When she said like, there was nothing like a capital N, there was nothing, you know, if they say, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. There was only tunnel. There was, was nothing. Like just drive us home that point. Nothing, nothing. And you're like, Okay, like you had a bad experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's so bleak, you know. Like when she yes. says she was like, "I died, I was dead," and you're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Rebecca Hall's it, you're like, oh, performance through this movie, like so deadpan, and then like on a dime, we'll switch to just like wry and like sarcastic and like, "Ha, gotcha." <laughs> the uh, the dinner or the the scene where she's out with the other teacher friends, fucking mm-hmm. Gary, man. <laughs> <laughs> Gary. God damn it, Gary. Gary. <laughs> Gary. He's trying. <laughs> Gary's trying to help. He was. It's, uh, he has, we like to say, bad medicine, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> right. You know, so much of the early part of the movie is about the awkwardness of grief, where it's just watching everybody scramble around you when you've been through something, trying to yeah. help, mm-hmm. and uh, and completely missing the point. And, um, you yeah. know, that, that both the, the bar scene, which I love, because it's a scene about you know, three work friends trying to reintroduce her to life after this unbelievable thing has happened to her. And no one is really prepared for where that conversation is going to go. Yeah. And uh, because they're not really prepared for what she's seen and what she's facing. And when she tosses it back to them, it can silence a room in a second. And there's a uh, a raw frankness that Rebecca was able to kind of draw from and 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 dish that is quite frightening. Beth is scary. Sometimes yes, Beth is the scariest she, thing about the movie. You know, you kind of totally. don't want to contend with her and you certainly don't want to contend with what she's, she's seen because yeah. if you take that to heart, then you're going to have, you, you're going to go home at night and think about your own life in a way you maybe don't want to think about. <laughs> right. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, that in the scene that you mentioned where she talks about, she tells her story and the story of just tunnel, you know, I, I will just say of the production, like, that's that's you know it's a quiet scene between her and her best friend late at night, mm-hmm. and it's um, you know scripts change a lot throughout the process of making them, and that was one that never changed. You know, I mean, <sighs> from the original draft that Ben and Luke gave me, I was I was just like, this is one I just want to make this movie. This scene is the reason I want to <laughs> make this movie. Is the story that she tells. Oh my god, yes. And, um, and I want the 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 feeling of this like you know the the way a house feels you know just before dawn, and. Um, uh, and, uh, we shot that, um, and it was supposed to be earlier in the schedule that night because we knew it was a big scene and we ran into some scheduling conflicts and, um, we had to push it to the end of the night. And I remember, you know, just, you know, for a second thinking, you know, for the actors, like nobody wants to go do a big scene at, you know, you're doing night shoots, you work all night. So you, Mm -hmm. especially in the summer when we're shooting in Syracuse, I mean, you only get like eight, you take advantage of this. Every yeah. bit that you can get. Yeah, so you're yeah. you're basically like you get the crew ready to go the second the sun is down to start rolling camera, and then you're like racing sunrise every single morning yep. trying to you know jam this ambitious project into this tiny window. 
And so there we were like, you know, going to do that scene right before the sun came up. And I remember like Sarah Goldberg and Rebecca, um, they both just, their voices just dropped into this kind of late night gravel that you almost can't fake. Yeah. And it was, and everybody was just tired enough. And the moment was just surreal enough that, and, and Rebecca had a hold of it. I mean, when she told that story, I mean, I, my jaw was on the floor and I remember, um, I only shot one take of the close-up, which I would never do, you know? <laughs> right. And I, I mean, never. Like, I'm paranoid behind the camera. I'm like, let's do another just for fun. Let's do another one in this direction just in case because the etiquette yeah. is so predictable. And I don't know mm-hmm. that I've ever had a moment making a film where I was sitting at the monitor and I thought, that's the movie. There's no doing that ever again. Like, that's exactly it. Right. So that my, my favorite moment of the script that was the reason I wanted to make the movie, I shot once. And we moved on. It's giving me chills. That's a (laughs) testament to really to Rebecca and what she's able to go and get, you know, before she does these scenes and bring back with us. But yeah. Yeah. I love, uh, oh man. And that, that scene uh, plays right into another very big scene. And there's like that seamless transition of she's telling the story and she's like, no, just until I fall asleep. And then it's like, boom, instantly she's in, we'll say dream mode, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, obviously huge shout out to, uh, uh Elijah Christensen, the, uh, um, uh, director of photography for this. He, he was great. Um, but there's so many like playing with space inside the house and that kind of played on like that, the old like hat on a coat rack type, you know, thing. Like, is that a person in the corner? Or is it just a hat on a thing? Like you playing with that sort of space, in the house, but it also, the house ended up being a character in the movie, you know, and not just like, because it was a plot point, but it ended up like feeling alive. Okay. Can we just for a moment linger on the way everything was framed in those shots where you see the shadow person where like for the split second, you don't know, like, are my eyes playing tricks on me? Or is that a, oh God, it moved. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep, where it just turns its head and then you're like, oh no, it's just the molding on the thing. And you're like, oh Jesus Christ. In a lot of ways, that was one of the scariest, like we'll, we'll say like ghost effects I've ever seen in a movie because it felt so like a real lived experience. Like just those, those late night moments where like something just kind of moves out of the corner of your eye and like, oh, fuck, I'm going to die tonight. (laughs) And, like, he captured that with those scenes for the point where it's just like, oh, it's happening again. Oh, there he is. Oh, it moved. (laughs) It's looking at me. (laughs) It can see my soul. (laughs) So I, you know, you you guys, I mean, Caleb's has seen it, but you haven't seen it. But on the other side of this camera, you know, I have a ring light. I've got, you know, like studio foaming up and stuff like that. And after I watched this movie, I was like laying in bed and I'd finally shut everything off and I looked, but the ring light is round. But it's sure. like, you know, just a little bit bigger than a head. And there was like the thing. And I was like, well, I'm dead. That's this is this is it. Yeah. And I'm about this ghost is gonna kill me. And you know, it's been it's been fun, I suppose. <laughs> and I was like, this did it. And then I was like, no, obviously I just watched a scary movie, like cut it out. <laughs> so I didn't die. Spoiler. Uh, well, it's funny. Yeah, we, yeah, it's that's one of those like interesting production challenges that you really never know if it's gonna work. It was sort of mm-hmm. built on um like Ruben's Vaz, which is, you know, just like the old, like, idea of, yeah. neg- like, negative space man is what we called them on set. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, which was, like, um, it's the old optical illusion of, like, a man standing between pillars. And it's, like, mm-hmm. is it the pillars or does the man exist in the absence of space between the pillars? And 
you know, kind of playing with ways to get that image in the movie or to give us, you know, something we could kind of hang on to across the film as far as like what Beth's experiencing. And then the idea of like, it's just tunnel. Um, it felt like a, like a really fun way to explore the, the lack of her husband's presence, you know, mm -hmm. anthropomorphized, you know, the absence of him in the house taken into nightmare territory. And, um, but it's one of those things that we'd never seen done in a movie before. No. So yeah. we, you know, you kind of, the way this works, it's like, you know, you get the financing and, you know, you like, oh my God, Rebecca wants to do the movie. What an amazing opportunity. She's incredible. What is she going to do with it? Oh my God, we have, we have six weeks and then we have to shoot. <laughs> so you kind of parachute into Syracuse and uh, yep. start looking for houses. And, um, <laughs> and, and we're like, how are we going to pull this crazy thing off? And it takes like a good three weeks for anyone to even know what we're talking about. For even me to understand what exactly we're talking about, how it's going to work, and so we ended mm -hmm. up um, getting—I called a, a filmmaker friend of mine, Pat Horvath. Which, Mike, you may have got, interacted with Pat quite a bit. I don't know if you remember Pat. A lot, yeah. He, he hung out in the office with me a bunch, and he would always, you know, be like, "What does this look like to you?" And I'm like, I, "Nothing." And he's like, "Good, good, good." Like, That's a pretty cool. good Pat impression, actually. Yeah. Like, I wish you guys could see, uh, yeah, Mike right now, because like it's it's. But it's um, but he would uh, uh, he would basically he's a photographer and a visual artist and a filmmaker and so we we just were like here here are the instances here's what they mean here's kind of where we need them in the story figure out how to make this cool and so he would just go camp in the house with like cardboard and cut stuff out and try and like basically shape different ways to do this and so it was pretty tricky like you know if uh, <laughs> excuse me if he's like you can't use a broomstick, you know, to make him, you can't use like an actual vase or like a plant. Like it has to be like basic core architectural elements in a way to make it work. And so there were a lot of dead ends down that path. And then, you know, as we got closer to, he would kind of come up with these concepts as we got closer to understanding them. Our production designer, Catherine Eater would just build them into the sets and they were mm -hmm. like point of perspective, optical illusion. So you could be walking through the set. And if you stopped mm -hmm. at the right place at the right vantage and, turn down a hallway, there'd be the shape of a person standing there, you know, but like two steps away and the whole image would kind of break apart. And so it's, it was, it was really fun in that way. And, you know, it's something that we could rally around and I, you know, you could catch Rebecca just staring at it for a while before she'd do a scene, you know, and you're like, it's, it's better than a green screen. So. I'd have lost my damn mind in that house. <laughs> and yeah. like plays off the, the concept of, uh, of her monologue about it. You know, there, there's nothing because you see like, What's that? Is that is that something? Oh no, it's just nothing. Oh no, it's the nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's specifically yeah. <laughs> I, I remember uh, uh, having to hunt for a very long time for mannequins uh, uh, for Pat, and he was like, "I need mannequins. Can you get?" Me and we're like, "Maybe." <laughs> we ended up like asking every like retail shop in Syracuse for for mannequins. We ended up getting a couple from a store called Boom Babies. Oh, uh, yeah. They ended up giving us a bunch, but we only could borrow them, so we had to give them back uh, after Pat was done doing whatever doing his thing with them making them making them creepy i guess i don't know <laughs> so the house is a big thing because i remember riding around with people uh uh riding around with like locations and stuff like that like looking for houses you know we uh, had tried like casanova lake for a while but we ended up in in skinny atlas and, okay. and on uh, that's, skinny atlas lake that's what I um, thought. but this house was empty right if i remember correctly yeah, it was, uh, the owners lived out of town. It was uh, like a summer home or vacation home 
for them. And we just, we found it, just took a lucky left turn. And it didn't seem obvious at first, you know, it was kind of this muted, weird brown color. Um, it was mm -hmm. much smaller than what we needed. It didn't have the space to supply the film necessarily, but it had this incredible vantage over the lake. Yeah. And, was, I, you know, yeah. I'd never seen a lake like that where, you know, it, it had, um, I mean, so much depth across the lake, but you couldn't see the north and south sides of it. Mm -hmm. So it had this kind of like river sticks, this kind of crossing of the threshold, this like life and death oh, kind of vibe to it. That was, <laughs> and we were just thinking about the themes of the movie. We were like, wow, we could do something. But it was also on this cliff face that faced over the water. And originally in the script, there was no cliff. The house wasn't on a cliff. We weren't planning on that. And it's one of those things that, you know, if you're a filmmaker like myself, you go back to production, you're like, so I want to shoot on the house over the cliff on a dock that we have no access to and instead of um, spirits wading out into the water, I want spirits jumping over the cliff. And it's like, well, you just made everything harder. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But then you have to kind of sit with everybody and you have to have a conversation like, well, you know, what are movies if not this? Like, <laughs> shouldn't we go after this at all costs? But it was, right. it made everything much more challenging, but it, I think it was really, really worth it. And I, I, I find that like, especially on a film, like an independent film like this where you're, you come in with a bag of ideas and then you're you're very quickly adapting to the circumstances of how the movie can come together. And um, it's, it, you know, especially in horror, you're trying to build some atmosphere. It's like to be inspired by a space is mm -hmm. the greatest thing. And yeah. uh, because you just, you, you, you end up leaning into that in so many different ways. And um, I think, you know, that space, that house, that vantage, we kind of transformed it into what we wanted. But I, I was going to say also, yeah, the house was too small. So we had to, we had to find a way to like build onto the house and change the appearance of the house. So we ended up building half the house on stage and half of it's practical and oh, using okay. digital extensions to, to, to make it look a little bigger than it was and to add yeah, you know, you, like a whole nother floor to it. Yeah. See the whole floor up top. I remember. Yeah. yeah. That we had to uh, digitally add uh, onto the floor, which is a cool fact that, that yeah. the house looks nothing like how it actually looks in real life so you couldn't secretly go and find it that's so <laughs> wild yeah because yeah, yeah i mean it white which was the yeah. whole thing yeah you yeah, can't tell that it's not this that. like <laughs> huge uh lake house the like multi-floor just like this expensive architectural project and like seeing um god is owen owen is the yeah yeah yep. owen, seeing yeah. owen's drawings of the house and like seeing like the size and scale of it like it just it feels huge, yeah. <clears throat> and I'm curious, like uh, the 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 mirror house, the unfinished, like how, was that something that that y'all built as well, or how much of that was was done digitally? Yeah, it was. Well, it's seen in in a couple different ways in the film. Um, when it's in her dream state, it is it's just a rep, it's just a reverse image mm -hmm. of the house, and um, I mean, so that's easy. You just shoot the house and you flip it backwards, sure. but it can be tricky because you can't. If you flip an actor's face backwards, that your brain knows. You know, yeah, even Rebecca has a very symmetrical face, but like, but it's still like somewhere in some, you know, part of the lizard brain, something in you is like something's not right about that image. So like, anytime she's interacting with the mirror house, we had to kind of plan our shots accordingly. So she's right side, and the house is you know backwards, and um, which sounds simple, but it could actually be pretty confusing at times, um, especially when you're doubling different areas for uh for spaces that you know basically when the background's not the background it gets a little dizzying but um but then there was a, a kind of um 
grounded non-dream state version of the house, which was more of like a uh, like a relic that was meant to represent the house that we yeah. built, and um, that was both a stage build and a facade that we built in the woods. Like that was okay. we were definitely strained on our budget for that, so I think it only has like two sides to it and um, was a bit smaller than it appears just using camera trickery whenever we can. I remember visiting the, uh, the fake rooms in the, in the sound stage um, mm-hmm. and being able to like, kind of, you know, not really wander. I couldn't, you know, wander around them cause they were still being used, but you know, like being able to see it and being like, this is crazy from having seen the house to, to the fake rooms and being like that. I, you know, movies are magical and no one can tell me otherwise until I get on another set. And I'm like, oh, right. It's actually just <laughs> chaos at all times. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it really, every single time you're in a situation like that, you're like, there's no way this is going to really work. Is every it? every yeah. movie I've ever worked on, even like Hugh, I went from this movie to working on A Quiet Place Part 2, like almost immediately oh, afterwards. Sure. Mm-hmm. And even then I was like, I, there's no way this movie's getting. I mean, you know, this has like a. I had like an eighty million dollar budget or something. I'm like, there's no way we're gonna fit. This is insane. And of course, you know, it got pulled off too. And I'm like, movies are magic. I don't know. How, <laughs> I don't know how they work because it's just chaos at all times. Like everything goes wrong all the time, but movies get made. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why filmmakers are are usually pretty gentle to other filmmakers because they're kind of like, <laughs> I, like as long as the plane landed and didn't like explode on the tarmac, like we're kind of like, okay, well done. <laughs> You did it. Yeah. At the end of the day, that's all you can ask for. So, you know, <laughs> if it works really well, that's that's kind of a miracle and, and and takes a lot of luck. Yeah. So aside from from having to find the perfect house, uh there was another really crazy search that you guys had to do in finding Rebecca Hall lookalikes, yeah. specifically in a small population city of Syracuse as opposed to LA, where it's like Everybody looks, you know, like that super bottle. So it's great. But, you know, in upstate New York and Syracuse, you're like, so you got to be 5'10 and long brown hair. And, and that's tough. It's tough to find. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, we were really lucky. I mean, because there's, you know, uh, one of the lookalikes is a pretty substantial part. And so we knew we were kind of going to go into casting for that. And um, mm-hmm. we were we were lucky to, I mean, sometimes, you, again, Rebecca has, you know, people are excited to work with Rebecca and it was, it was, we were able to kind of look at a bunch of movies and go, God, would it be great to find if we could get Stacey Martin over here and had been a big fan of her work. And, and, and it was the kind of thing we didn't want straight doppelgangers, like something that was like a bit adjacent and, um, and Stacey is, she's obviously younger. And so the context in which they discover one another, it's like there's tension to be drawn from that relationship. But at the same time, there is like something doppelganger-ish or slightly uncanny about it that's pretty cool. But um, but yeah, it was it was it was it was fun to look through and find a bunch of folks and see, you know, who could step in for some of the other doubles necessarily. And some of them are a bit more striking than I thought they would be, you know, yeah. um, especially yeah. seen at a distance. Like it's, it can, it can trick the eye more than you would expect. In fact, there were certain takes in the film that we, we were worried that looked too much like Rebecca. We actually had to pull back. So we thought the audience would know the difference. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, and you know, going back to Rebecca's performance, that scene in the bookstore when she confronts Madeline, uh, like, again, like, what is she going to do? Like, she's so like, restrained and you can tell that there's emotion like boiling underneath but like which of those emotions is going to show itself 
Is it going to be the, the, the quirky, sarcastic humor? Is it going to be just full on rage at this person? Is she going to break down? Uh, like you can't tell. And she just like, everything is so tightly controlled and you just kind of see these like almost like ticks of emotion on her face. Yeah. She's, she's an extraordinary performer and it's, I mean, you know, I mean, it's kind of, uh, my composer showed up on the fourth day just to kind of scope the set, see what the production was like. And it was like, wow, it's like watching a professional athlete shoot hoops. It's just like, she can somehow kind of come into a room effortlessly do everything technical that needs to happen. But there's like a new life to every single take. She's giving you something different, but like really introspective and, um, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, in this movie in particular, she played a lot of it from the gut. And I think, uh, like, we didn't talk too much about some of the interior motivations of what was going on. I think it was there on the page. And we knew that, I think her and I both felt that the what was interesting about the script was that it was in the, like, immediate wake of an impossible thing happening. Which is, normally in these movies, you cut to six months later post-funeral and people have had time yeah. to process something. And you're getting into the, like you know, you're getting it, you're exploring like sadness on its surface. Like once people have come to terms with the fact that someone's gone, it's like you very rarely see something that is the moments after a severe loss where the rug has come out from under your feet and people are swinging wildly between different states of mind. I mean, there's denial, there's a lot of anger, um, there's, mm-hmm. there's uh, all kinds of disbelief and, um, and, uh, and then there's like a horrifying frankness and, um, and, and, and that the, you know, the really like, uh, uh, the sharpness to which she could flip from one state of mind to another was something that we wanted to be present in the filmmaking. We wanted to be present in the performance. And so in that sense, it's like there had to be an unpredictability to it. We had to just like wind wind up the moment and let it go. And so sometimes yeah. I didn't know what Rebecca was going to do or where she would go. <laughs> and sometimes we would just kind of pull the filmmaking apparatus back a little bit and just give her some space and just kind of mm-hmm. go like, right, well, let's see what happens and roll the camera a little bit. And she could just really, really, really just um, uh, run with that and, and do some really fascinating work. Oh, and okay. she has these like tiny moments throughout the film that if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it entirely, but like really fill out like, these crucial little pieces. Like they, just the one little line, uh, I think it's in the bar scene where she says like, no, no, I was the one with the darkness and he was my, my rock or whatever. Yeah. And <clears throat> that's just like a line set in passing. Like uh, at this point, I don't think we know about the, the, uh, the accident when she was a kid. We don't know about her like dying and seeing nothing uh, and whatnot. So it's just this, like this briefest of reference to like, I've struggled with with my own mental health and with my own issues, and he was there for me. And like suddenly, he's not there, and like he's the one who killed himself. Like, like how does make it make sense? Right, uh, just this little moment, and then it passes. But like that stuck with me through the rest of the film as I see like her condition swing wildly was the the best description that they use. I think going from the like this the like everything's fine, I'm fine to like everything's unraveling and who were these women and who was my husband and, uh, and like just like that on a dime. I I think, you know, we, we see that almost right off the bat in the beginning of the film, uh, you know, where the parent comes in to be like, Oh, Hunter, blah, blah. And she's like, my husband shot himself in the face (laughs) three days ago. And she's like, Okay. Oh <laughs> I mean, that's like, you know, that's your instance, but that's, you know, as, as wild as that line is, yes. but like her delivery 
It's kind of like, so what do you what do you want? Like, what do you want? You want to see? You want to be great? Whatever. Like, this is all trivial. Nothing you're saying matters. Just shut the fuck up and get out of my office. Like, that's you know, it's she's delivering that, but like, there's so much more behind that. And then later, you know, when she when she uh, you know meets uh, Madeline and starts talking to her, she's like, "Well, you fucked my husband, so you know you can do this." It's like, Jesus, <laughs> like you're you're totally like right in saying this, but goddamn, <laughs> like, yeah, oof, yeah, just swinging. <laughs> it's it, it, totally. It's 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 like uh, she's a she's a loose cannon, and and I think um, I I don't know. You see this sometimes. I just you know, people after a loss, like everyone's kind of afraid of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and sometimes someone will go through something like this, and they'll come out, and the, and the iron you everybody wants to be really precious and assume they don't want to talk about it and all this kind of stuff. The truth is, like you don't want to talk about it. It's like right. You know, if I'm if I'm around a person who is coming out of an impossible moment of grief, like, you know, I don't want to confront what they're experiencing because then I'm going to have to confront that in every single end of my own life. So, like, you try mm-hmm. to contain it or you try to manage it or something to that effect. And there's just something I don't feel like I've seen this a lot in movies where somebody in her position is coming out and going, no, he shot himself in the head for no reason whatsoever. What do you want? Mm-hmm. And right. we'll put that on the table in its impossibility, um, in its complete incomprehensibility, like anytime she's pushed in any way or another. And it's um, uh, and it's fun in the movie and it, and it adds a little bit of very, very dark pitch black humor to both mm-hmm. the character and in the film in a way that I think we needed because it's a, it's a it's there's some heavy stuff in the movie. And if, yeah. if Beth can't kick it around a little bit, then I feel like um you know, it can be just too bleak or too grim yeah, to watch at times. Exactly. I, I think it felt more realistic to see her kind of waver between, you know, using that sort of like, you know, deprecating humor or like being sarcastic, you know, like when, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, back to the bar scene and, and Claire qu- quotes the fucking suicide soliloquy from Hamlet. She's like, did <laughs> yeah. you just quote a suicide poem? You're going to comfort me with the suicide speech? <laughs> and she was like, Oh my God. She's like, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Like, I think it's funny that she can do that. But then, you know, minutes later, she's like, you know, or like an hour later, she's like, oh, by the way, I died. Uh, anyway, so here's the story of how death is haunting me. And uh, my husband killed himself. And I did actually know about that note. And uh, so there is that finger guns, pew, pew. I'm going to pass out drunk. You know, she's just, you know, Claire is just like, okay. <laughs> And yeah, we used to talk realistic. too about the idea that like you're not, you know, you, the thing with Beth is that you can you can role play with her, you can empathize with her to a degree, but in some ways Beth is farther out at sea than we are as an mm-hmm. audience, oh. you know, and yeah. um and and she's seen things that you haven't seen, and mm-hmm. both in the immediate events of her life and before. And so sometimes I feel like at least for me in kind of making it, it's like my empathy shifts halfway through a scene from kind of being with Beth and 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 in her predicament to suddenly being with, you know, the third party that's in the room that's having to deal with Beth. And yeah. instantly you kind of feel like, you know, I mean, normally when you make a film, you're trying to put the audience so much in the shoes of the protagonist at all times, you know? And I mean, it's mm-hmm. just in the way that we manage basic suspense. But in this, I felt like there were times where you weren't with Beth so much as you were kind of like, you were. it was more like you were watching somebody you care about teeter on the edge of a cliff. 
Yes. And and yeah. and like and for that reason, like we really had to attend to Claire, you know, um, in the script and just and and what it means and everything down to the camera perspectives and everything is like okay. For a moment, quietly, we're going to suggest to the audience, like, you are Claire managing Beth right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Sarah Goldberg did wonders with this and, um, and, and, you know, was able to make it not sentimental, but like a tough, frank kind of best friend concern that is slowly picking up, you know, more of the pieces than she initially, you know, intended to. And carrying the weight of the film in some regards, I think it's the same with Fondy Curtis Hall. Oh, yeah. um, who plays Mel the neighbor who has seen a little bit of what Beth's dealing with but doesn't I think know how much to insert to you know insert himself into the situation necessarily but can definitely see the writing on the wall and so and in that sense it's like I think one of the things that kind of like you know and I don't I don't know I don't know how many people if this is their experience but you know my experience with it was that it's to some degree or another what kind of rose the surface was that it was a movie about help and in just the most simple sense and like mm-hmm. what what is the responsibility that you take for the other people in your life and how do we affect one another and you know Caleb you mentioned a few minutes ago like the the moment where Beth was talking about like she was the one that was depressed and you know how mm-hmm. did this you know affect her husband and i think she uses the word infect you know it's like yes. I infected him with my bullshit like what is that yes. about and i and i think it's you know there too you kind of see it in the sense that this this is so much about what a marriage is is the alchemy between two people and and how much we feed off one another and depend on one another and relate to one another and it's like you even get the sense of their relationship even though it's off screen that it was passionate and engaged all the way to the end mm-hmm. um, and that these were two people that despite their differences and their difficulties were two people that knew each other in a in a pretty um, vivid way and um and were not able to kind of reconcile whatever problems they had and at the same time there was so much left unknown and so much that was kind of hidden but i just think there's a there's a, a kind of a quiet conversation happening under the surface about um you know what we owe to one another and how much we pull from one another and um you know for a movie that's can be this heavy at times like that was something that for me sort of felt like the the kind of the green leaf in the wasteland like sort of the thing that is what if anything is the takeaway from something like this like what if anything can can we hang on to and and for me that was sort of the you know the 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 uh, you know the more uplifting aspects of it sort of lived in and around those areas but that's all just you know these are all just things that the script inspired you know yeah, yeah. well and you do get such a sense of like how close they were and like how good their their marriage seemed at least from Beth's perspective seemed to be to the point where like it it didn't matter how deep the rabbit hole went with what she discovered about Owen after his death like even just his death was enough to feel like a betrayal to her because it was like like just where did it come from? What like what? Yeah. Where did I go wrong? What did I do? Why did you leave? Uh, sort of thing. But then, as she digs, you know, like just you know, kind of scratches a little bit at first, and then a little bit more, and then starts full on digging. It just seems like oh my god, it's worse. It's worse. It's worse. It's worse. And yeah. like you know how how bad like how how little did I actually know this person that I thought I knew so well. And then, but but I love the fact that it kind of turns out that she did know him mm-hmm. exactly how she thought she did. But there's this like wave of like, at first it's like, 
oh, he's, you know, oh, that's cute. He's taking all these candid photos of me. And then it's, wait, he's taking photos of other women. And then it's, wait, he's taking photos of other women that look like me. And then it's, wait, he's definitely fucking these other women that look a lot (laughs) like me. This is like kind of a compliment, but also creepy. And then it's like, oh shit, he's killing people. What the fuck? And then it's like, oh, because he's doing it to try to protect me. I guess so this is the wave of like <laughs> of where she goes throughout the film, and you kind of go with her. You're like, oh my god, what the fuck is happening? And then it's like, oh, that's romantic. I guess. I mean, it is, but also like he definitely murdered all those women. <laughs> well, and. I, I think, so, uh, Michael, you know this, and David, like, most of the, the my favorite movies of the last several years have been, like, very small cast, very focused, uh, very just story-driven, and, like, this movie worked like that so well because so much of it is, like, Rebecca in, uh, in her isolation. It's, it's uh, um, sorry, Beth in her isolation, and then it's it's one-on-one with a friend or a very small, intimate group of friends. Uh, or it's her alone with the memories of her husband or whatnot. And so, like, it keeps you focused on the, the story, uh, but it, it also drives that that tension so well. And it creates – it's a very realistic feel because, you know, like, it, I feel like if there was this large cast and just people milling about all the time and coming and going and you had to try to learn, you know, more than five names, you lose track of, like, all right, who's who's sad and why? <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. like this like really lets you doing focus. Yeah. yeah, like oh, like what did the what did that person say in the background that actually had nothing to do with the the conversation that I'm supposed to be paying attention to? And I like that that doesn't happen. I like that it just lets us focus on like feeling what what this what these people are going through. I, I like that. I, I yeah, I like how you put that. I mean, I, I really relate to what you're saying. I feel like I'm more and more. Um, you know, plot drives movies in such a huge mm-hmm. way and you end up having just a lot of plot that you have to sift through. A lot of details, yeah, yeah. a lot of twists and turns. And I, I get why that keeps the story moving, but it's a lot to attend to in a very specific, very literal kind of way. And, you know, I'm definitely the film goer who's often, you know, sitting next to my partner and asking her like, wait, wait, what just happened? Who is that guy? <laughs> and she's with it every step. Like, she's like, that's the guy that has the thing that does that. I go, oh, okay. Oh, no. That's great. Oh, I get it. I thought that's what it was. I just thought maybe I missed, maybe there's something else to it. And she's like, be quiet, watch the movie. <laughs> you know? and, but like, so I, I you know, it, it is, um, sometimes that can be kind of an overloading sort of attention grab. But I don't know. I too, I feel like, you know, I'm something that's really interesting on screen. It's just intimacy, like in a genuine way, just feeling... Mm-hmm for a moment that you're not aware of the movie that you're watching and you're just kind of observing something that is, um, um, I almost want to say that you're not supposed to see, um, you know, because it's, it's too familiar or it's too, um, uh, relatable in a kind of a private way. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I feel like the script frequented in in a bit of that, you know? Yeah. Um, anything that deals in like the way your brain plays tricks on you late at night when you're by yourself is kind of a sacred space. Yes. Yeah. Late night anxiety, we called it, which is a very distinct kind of stress. Yes, Gary, I know what sleep paralysis is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's how I knew that Michael was about 10 minutes ahead of me in the movie. (laughs) Because I just said that that message. I was like, yes, Gary, I know what sleep paralysis is. Uh, And so like modern filmmaking, like it, 
for, you know, not necessarily as a dig, like so much of it is focused on big visuals on like these like impressive, like depth of field and color and like explosions and these soaring vistas and all that. Like, and that's like, there's time and place for that. And it's great. I love that. Like, especially that the people behind the camera are, are and, and the artists doing the digital effects can really like explore their craft like that. But something you said uh, several minutes ago about just like storytelling, like to me, storytelling is what's missing from a lot of films. Like there, there are movies that try, but they just don't do a good job. And then there are other movies that are like, ah, you know what? Sure. There's a plot, but like action. And like the, the movies that resonate with me, like, you know, Michael's talking about, we've done four years worth and, you know, every week and there's so many movies and I don't even remember probably half of them, but the ones that do stand out is because they told me a story that stuck with me. Yeah, I, uh, which I think is, you know, uh, again, this is a, a testament to uh, uh, Ben and Luke, Ben and Luke, yeah, uh, who who wrote this, is that they they started with a really great thing and then everything added on. Uh, you know, uh, also want to shout out to Sam Hawkins, who uh, she did uh, the costumes for this. And mm-hmm. I think you were talking earlier about the, um, about Claire being shot in a different way, but Claire also wearing all like white and bright and like red and bright yes. colors. Where, you know, conversely, Beth is wearing very muted and she's gray and everything is is darker looking. And I think, you know, uh, Sam did a really good job, you know, ha- having worked with Sam for, for several movies, I know like how she goes into a movie and it's less of like, well, this is fun and more of like emotionally, how do I show you the character with whatever it is they're wearing right now? You know, I've, I've seen her do that on movies before and I, you know, having, having, uh, especially worked, you know, on this one, seeing that sort of vision of like, you know, Beth is muted because, you know, her colors are, are run out because the, the person that was her person is gone and she doesn't know why. So like the life has been drained out of her. And so that's reflected in, in her, her, you know, in her outfits. And that's, you know, when you see her next to people like Mel and Claire and, you know, even, even, uh, Madeline, like she looks black and white, you know, compared, Mm -hmm. you know, she looks like she's, you know, like literally has no color versus everybody else. And I think that that was also a really cool, like subtle, like that's another one of those like little touches, but like you feel it, you notice it, you know, when characters interact. Yeah, that's a great point. I, you know, uh, it's cool that you've worked on several projects with Sam now. I was, yeah. she did some really interesting, almost invisible work in the movie, mm-hmm. especially with um, just kind of like the night shirt that Beth's wearing. So there's yeah. things that we, cause we talked a lot in the movie about like, you know, overtly the space is changing. Like the house is, is changing shape throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And we don't mm-hmm. always tell you that it's changing shape, but also like the wardrobe is changing subtly yep. throughout the movie, which is something that yeah. she was doing. And, um, you know, not to call too much attention to it necessarily, but like it's kind of there. And it was interesting to put forward to, you know, many of the, the you know, uh, collaborating artists and just say like, you know, this is a movie that is, it keeps secrets from you. It's, um, it's a shifting labyrinth. It's not behaving how you want it to. It's yeah. gonna it's gonna look like one thing one second, look like something else the other. Have fun with this and run with this and um and and to see somebody pick it up in a really, really unique way and and for that to be a presence in the film. It's like all that's a contributing factor to what you're seeing. And I you at a certain point you just kinda go like everything's on screen, like it all matters, like it's all affecting the audience. Yeah. And yeah. um and it, it's just a really, really fun challenge to kind of run with that in a cool space for for our imaginations. 
Yeah, like, I uh, I've worked with both uh, Sam Hawkins and Catherine Eater on on a couple of films, and both like just seeing seeing them from like the start, being like, okay, all right, and like and then seeing them at like actually going out and like putting it together, and it's just like wow, like wow, that's. That's like that's that sort of talent. Like that's that's not my department in <laughs> filmmaking. Like that's that's the I I look out from the outside and be like, wow, that's cool. Like you did a really good <laughs> job. But like knowing nothing of like the torment they went through to get it exactly right, just being like, good work, guys. Yeah. I'm gonna go back to my office now. <laughs> you know, that's that's the their department type thing. The uh, the way that you describe the the house and the way that you describe like the the use of both of you describe the, the use of, of wardrobe and just these really subtle things just makes me think of like this like watching this movie is a lot of the same uh, it gives me a lot of the same you know, mental and emotional reactions I get from reading something like House of Leaves mm-hmm. where like the house is changing why is it changing like. It's different, and I don't know why. It feels wrong. This room feels wrong. It's very liminal. Like, is this? It, it, did it get bigger? Is it smaller? Is it shaped differently? This house. This house looks exactly like mine, but it's reversed. What like these the the concepts yeah. that you play with there? Uh, and I just I, I really love that. House of Thieves was definitely an inspiration. I mean, that was Hell a, yeah. that was a book that. I, I think probably around 2012 or something, uh, when I met Ben and Luke, we had we'd had several conversations about uh, mostly about how you can never do this in a movie, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like this is unfilmable, but it's great and it's kind of it's, about movies. And uh, aspects of it could be made, but like you can't just make House of Leaves. <laughs> well, there's a certain like having you know Dan Zalewski's the Mark Z Dan Zalewski's fascination with like you know, medium, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the idea that that's a, a, a story within a story, you know, maybe even within a story where the, the footnotes become the narrative at a certain point and yes. you know, you're not really sure what's real. And the narrative that's being told is of a documentary film that's found footage that was made. You know, I, I made a short found footage movie back in 2011, 2012, and like being somebody who like loved found footage at a time that, weirdly a lot of people didn't want to admit that they kind of loved it oh yeah and it was because it wasn't i think it was it had blown up so big with um blair witch that there was this at least in the circles i was frequenting at the time there was a bit of pure of a purist thing of like oh it's kind of like a big hollywood cash grab like it doesn't run that deep and and, and i was like i don't know cloverfield's one of the best monster movies i've ever seen Thank and, you. You know, yes. paranormal activity. Thank you. Fucking great. And like, and these movies like really genuinely like take me somewhere. And it's like, I am interested on every level in why like a weird mixed medium, you know, something that is like antiquated or builds like a strange remove between me and what I'm seeing. How and why that can like what film tropes feel like expressed in that. Like, forget the the weird agreement between audience and filmmaker that it has to be a tape that's discovered, but like, what is this thing? And to see Dan Saluski equally interested in something like that and then grab onto it and put it in this like hyper textual meta, you know, reality yes. inside this book was just so much fun for your brain and strangely really scary. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been pretty out there about the fact that like the, the book was a huge inspiration and I don't know how much Ben and Luke, you know, took from something like that with Nighthouse. But yeah, I mean, 
yeah, it's definitely an influence. And when they wrote a script that had changing spaces and, you know, uh, you know, meta layers to it that seemed mm -hmm. fun that one could kind of, that it, it left me unsettled. And I thought that was just a great space. I love that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, final thoughts about the movie. Uh, you know, we always we always end our our shows with like, should you watch the movie? Like, yeah, of course you should watch this movie. Like, absolutely. You know, don't don't be silly. Uh, I can't wait know. to watch it again. Like, I proactively bought it because I'm like, you know what? I know I'm going to watch this movie more than once, just on confidence of how you described it to me, Michael. Yeah. Uh, but after after watching it the first time and then talking about it again now. Uh, I really can't wait to go back and watch it two or three more times and like try to find the pieces that I missed uh, or like go back and you know, think about like Michael, like you did think about it from Owen's perspective, think about it from the other characters looking inward. Uh, yeah. I, you know, from Owen's perspective, the movie becomes way more frantic because it's, you, you see like how desperate he gets like toward, you know, cause, cause it's kind of like an overlay timeline, you know, where mm -hmm. she's, she's replaying the last moments of his life while discovering it, you know, so when you overlay and you just see, you know, and you see the flashes of Owen, like choking out the girl being like, fuck, I gotta, I gotta kill this girl again. And I gotta, ah. <laughs> you know, and he's like, is this the one? But like, also it's kind of funny. And the fact that he's like, killing women that look like his wife to like try to fool death in a way to be like, here you go, wink, wink, <laughs> and be like, ah, you scamp, you got me, you know? Mm -hmm. But, like, it's also kind of, like, there, there's that whole element of it, too, that that I think is really interesting. Um, but, yeah, but, of course, you know, obviously I bought it because I worked on it, but also my kid's in it for, like, five seconds, and uh, it was still great. And I could, like, only show her that in mute because, like, a second after you see her, she's like, I mean, he's fucking these women. It doesn't matter. Well, you know, my kid's nine and she can't, <laughs> she can't listen to that part. But that's so actually like the it. scene. The scene is that she's at a friend's house and she's yep. like talking about these horrible things with the kids in the other room. <laughs> the like, kids are yeah. in the back. Yeah. <laughs> the kids are in the background. Like, right. But, yeah. Uh, good times. Yeah. No, my daughter cheats. One still day it'll she, make sense. Yeah. Right. Like you know, when she's like 18, I'll show her the movie. Later, she'll be like, oh, that's awesome. Great. Or <laughs> she'll just be scared out of her mind because she doesn't like scary things. So, but I mean, who knows what nine years will look like for her. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, we made this movie, what, 2019 is when, yeah. you know, when, you know, when you made this movie and then, uh, you know, obviously COVID hit, uh, you know, we made, it was over the summer of 2019 and then COVID hit when it was supposed to be released. Um, and I know that it got kicked. Like, how, what was that experience like? Like being like, all right, here we go. The movie's getting ready for theater and then just blah. Well, I mean, it's such a privilege. I mean, I mean this, like such an incredible privilege just to make a movie in the first place. So you get kind of catapulted into it and, you know, you know, fight was there and it was like, it was not an easy shoot and yeah. it was very challenging. And, uh, you know, it was like, time divided by ambition and <laughs> and, a, and a commitment to doing things practically and it's like um it's just you know very quickly like you're you kind of don't know what you have so to the ride of this was as usual as the case like a kind of at the brink sort of uncertainty and also material that we were really out on a limb about how it was going to come across to then finish it last possible second gets into Sundance which was great um, well-received at Sundance, you know, Searchlight picked it up, which is like the best thing that could ever happen for a movie like this. And they were yeah. really behind it. And then the whole world shuts down. So it's kind of like, you know, um, in the face of the pandemic, it wasn't a, um, 
I mean, the movie was small potatoes, you know. It was like, okay, well, I hope people see it, but I, I don't even know if we're going to have movies when this is done. <laughs> right. Point. And uh, it was a lot to kind of process, but I, you know, and I do think it probably, it probably came out in a slightly different world than we made it in, but... Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. People have taken to it in their own way. I do think that on the you know a lot of horror films deal with grief, and there was something about the pandemic that was kind of a, a, a collective uh, grieving, not just for loss of life, but for like you know like what was my life and what is it if right. you put everything on pause and 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 hold on, maybe I don't have all the apocalyptic fantasies that I thought I did as a genre kid <laughs> right. feeling like right. I was born to fight zombies or something. It's like, no, no, I'm yeah. not like, you know, it's nope. the world back on. So to speak. Yeah. Like, this is terrible. Yeah, Mad Max turns into a completely different feeling movie, <laughs> like in retrospect. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, time of the wolf, but it's like, Oh, Haneke got it right. Like that's, the <laughs> I don't want, yeah. I don't want the Haneke into the world, but like, that's what maybe we were heading towards. So, um, you know, I'm glad the world is coming back alive. We say, you know, at the beginning of an Omicron brink, but, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. no, I, I was, I was just grateful, honestly, to have a studio that, um, believed in the film and hung on to it and wanted to do a theatrical release once it was safe. And, um, you know, these days, not a ton of people see a movie like this in the theater, but for those that did, you know, I do think it's a different experience. There. Definitely, it and, was. I mean, definitely. it's quite literally a different experience. Like, you can't in a movie where so much exists in darkness and shadow. Um, oh, God, when yeah. you compress that down to like the home formats, Rec Seven Hundred Nine and stuff, the information's just not there. Like, you're 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 not looking at the same image necessarily, and so you're not getting lost. You you know you're you're experiencing the movie in a very different sense. But um, but uh, so I I was yeah I was grateful ultimately for how it worked out for us in the film. Yeah. Uh, and it's great. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously recent news, you're, you've got Hellraiser uh, mm -hmm. coming up soon. Well, I don't know how soon, but uh, how you've, you've been working on Hellraiser and uh, that's pretty exciting. Uh, we're very excited for you um, to see that Hellraiser was one of those movies that like when I watched it as a kid, I was like, I should definitely not be watching this movie. <laughs> and then I would absolutely watch it again. You know, but that was... That was one of those. It's one of those there. ones that hit me so differently at different times in my life because I yep. also the first time I saw it, I was way too young to understand. What oh, I was, <laughs> yeah, you know. Oh, I was and, like my kid's age watching this, being like, "This is gonna fuck me up the rest of my life." It totally did, but I'm grateful because then I watch it again with a more appreciation for the occult, and I'm like, "This is a this is a cool movie." Yeah, I mean, oh my god, just like it, but yeah, no, no, we're we're hard at work on that. Uh, Hellraiser's in the can. We shot it this uh, fall, um, and so we're nice. hard at work in post moment yeah uh, just, just learning of the existence that, of the cenobites as an adult has fucked me up for life so, <laughs> <laughs> i think maybe i've seen half of one of the movies but just knowing that that like someone's brain created this has left me unsettled for the rest of my life <laughs> You always love that when there's like the reputation of like, you know, some characters in horror uh, that you you kind of can't run from it, even if you hide from the movies. Um, mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> you just uh, you sort just of know, know that the Cenobites are out there regardless. Um, yes. Willing to dish their pleasures. But yeah. And they're um, probably coming for me. That's all I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're waiting for you, really. Yeah. It all depends on how you look at it. But yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like my daughter knows of Pennywise, but like she's obviously never seen it. But like she's very aware of like what Pennywise does and and all that sort of thing, you know. But she's nine; she's not gonna watch it. Like, although I would have watched it. And, uh, you would, but I mean, That's... you know. I don't Nobody want should her follow to follow your example. <laughs> right. That's the thing. Like I learned from that mistake of being like R-rated, who cares? I'm I'm 10. This is fine. You know, and now I know like as an adult, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's very not good. Like I know all of the things that I pay for in therapy to get that out of my brain. I don't want her to go through that. We're gonna we're gonna go around that. So, like, uh, but sometimes we're, we're horror getting... films are the therapy. You know, in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, I mean that's 100%. a whole other podcast, but yeah, yeah that is a know. whole other pod. Yeah, you know, I just <laughs> I just encourage maybe start her off on the '90s version of it. Like, I, although I don't know if Tim Curry's scarier somehow. Like, I don't know. You know, I don't know. So she's seen um, uh, Legend uh, mm-hmm. with t- Tim Curry as the devil, and that also terrifying. That was also terrifying, but I love that movie so much. I still to this day love that movie. And to me, it's like modern Shakespeare. And I know it's absolute like fantasy trash, but I absolutely love that movie. Tim Curry's smile is scarier than most monsters. <laughs> right. He's just so good. I mean, because he was also Pennywise. And that's, but like, you know, she's seen, you know, Clue, like she loves Clue, the movie Clue, like absolutely loves the movie Clue. And yes. I'm like, that's the same guy. And she's like, They're, you're lying to me. Like, there's no way that's the same. Like she just can't fathom, you know, and like she knows like obviously she never watched Rocky Horror but she knows of like Rocky Horror and have seen the images of him as Dr. Frankenberger I'm like that's the guy from Clue and she's like that fuck you no it's not (laughs) she's like you're 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 just being daddy and and lying to me again and I'm like no like he was that good like you don't understand she's like whatever and I'm like that's the bellhop from Home Alone 2 and she's like now you're just making shit up (laughs) (laughs) that's the conversations I have with my child she doesn't actually swear like that but you know what I mean Uh, yeah so so, uh, uh, David, thank you very much for joining us My and, yes. and chatting this movie. We super appreciate it. Um, you know, this this was a long time coming because, you know, because of uh, the, the delay in getting it out. But we're so glad that we were able to chat about it. Um, and it was just such a perfect film uh, to talk about in our in our month long uh, Victorian Christmas of telling ghost stories. Uh, leading up to the release of Possibly Normal, where we tell for real ghost stories and much like this movie, don't uh, bother to explain them. Uh, we leave that for your mind to run wild with it because it's your explanation that matters mm-hmm. and not ours. Uh, so thanks a lot for joining us, everyone. We super appreciate it, and we will see you next time. Great pleasure, Austin. Thank you. father's tragic past, hidden in the adventures of a cartoon mouse. A cautionary tale on the dangers of temporal tourism. A woman searching for answers after the death of an old friend. This is the Storyteller series, a Night Shift Radio original. Every month we bring a new short story to life in a full cast audio drama. We publish a second exclusive story to our online print edition, and we give you a glimpse behind the pages with our author interview series. Subscribe to the Storyteller series wherever you listen to podcasts and visit nightshiftradio.com for more information. Mm-hmm.